Hey everybody, it's Nolan North, you know, Nathan Drake from Uncharted, and you're listening to the Geek Apocalypse Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Apocalypse Podcast, with yours truly Mr. Stephen Hesse, and thank you so much for checking out this edition of the podcast in the cold, wintry climate that is the beast from the east, which sounds totally like a boxing match, like we've just unofficially entered a boxing match here in the UK again. Like some Russian opponent or something, where it's like, the beast from the east is here, and will he be taken down? Join us next week, live, the O2, I don't know, something like that, but it just sounds so, it's all so dramatic, in it? They've got to have rhyming, you know, the, the thunder from down under. <laughs> it's like it has that, it's always that case in it, and then it's always like the thing about, um, and I'm sure we, we end up talking about this in this podcast, but um, names for hurricanes and stuff like that, like, you know... Uh, I think like do you think like scientists just sit there and go we're gonna name uh, we're gonna name this hurricane uh, after like a girlfriend I really distrusted or disliked uh, you know Hurricane Irene Irene like really upset me once upon a time but anyway so yeah so we recorded this on the 28th of February um, so it'll be released pretty much straight away and um, we talk about obviously as like I just said the the storm if you don't know what Beast East is like if you're from America not reading world news which is entirely possible uh, <laughs> or or other parts of the world is uh, Beast East is a weather front that's affecting the east of uh, the UK and all over really but mainly the east so far and it's affecting you know public transport and whatnot and um, you know obviously people are worried about freezing to death and whatnot so it's been quite problematic uh, a lot of people have been sent home from work and stuff like that which is funny. Because my friend Michelle, who lives in America, is probably I, I sent I sent her a direct message on Twitter, and I'm assuming she's just sitting there going, "I'm just they can't because she lives in Chicago, which is like this, you know, quite a lot of the time." So uh, yeah, so this has been a bit problematic to get together for all sorts of different things. So um, so obviously I wanted to catch up with Ricky. We did a special for Mentally Sound, which was obviously the last episode of this podcast, which was released as a special for Time to Talk, which is excellent. So obviously. You know, we talked heavily about mental health in that episode, so that sounds like fun, that's the other podcast I do, uh, Mentally Sound, which is a mental health show, if you type in that on iTunes, you'll find all the shows we've done for that, and the next one of that is a week on Friday, which I believe is the 9th of March, uh, 12 to 2pm on Spice FM, uh, live, uh, if you go to www.spicefm.co.uk, you can listen to us live, or we'll release it as a podcast very, very soon, and we're going to release February's edition of that podcast actually very soon, because I'm behind on putting them up. Um, but yeah, huge thank you to Ricky for doing this. Uh, we're going to try and get some guests on, a lot of guests on for March. I've got a lot of uh, interest from people over email about wanting to come on, so I'm going to organise that and try and keep to a regular schedule, because I think we're going to have about, this will be our fourth podcast so far this year, which is reasonable, but I'd like to do more. Um, so obviously, uh, if you like us, please do follow us at askgeek underscore apocalypse, Ricky is at vivid Ricky, um, and yeah, and uh, please do subscribe to the podcast if you're listening on iTunes. Um, but that's it for me. Obviously, huge thank you for supporting the podcast. Please tell people if you like it. And uh, yeah, stay warm if you're in the UK too, because it's freezing. Okay, enjoy this episode. Love you, Nina. Bye-bye. Like, um, I was thinking about it in the preparation for this. I guess, like, I'll uh, this will be the starting point, so just I'll let myself know for editing purposes. This is the starting point of the podcast, this is where we start talking. Hello, everybody, this is Stephen, <laughs> and I'm here with Ricky. Um, yeah, uh, it's because doesn't the beast from the east, because this will be the title of the episode, as you know, because you've been clicking on this for people who are listening, but like. Um, <laughs> the Beast in the East sounds like some sort of like headline for a boxing match, doesn't it? It's like, hello. <laughs> 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 the, the, the I going with this? Uh, yeah. I was, I was thinking Ivan Drago from. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was what I was thinking. Yeah, like, hello and welcome to the Beast from the East. Well, the, it sounds like a Russian guy, doesn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Will the guy from the will the will the guy from Russia beat this up and coming UK star? <laughs> Find out in the Beast in the East. Order now. 
order now on Sky Box Office uh, phone. <laughs> it's, you, um, yeah. Who was the Who was the Russian wrestler? Was it Boris Karloff? Wasn't Wasn't he? He had he had a similar name, didn't he? Cool, uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't quite know. There's been a few like Russian sounding wrestlers. Yeah, um, sort of, uh, like name referring to. Kolov, yeah. yeah, I think it was Kolov. Yeah, I don't. Uh, anyway, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> all these all these people who like well, you often find that a lot of Russian people, a lot of Russian wrestlers, were actually Americans who were putting on terrible accents. Like there's a one right now called Kozlov, I think. Okay. And he's actually—I don't think he's Russian, but the right. the—but uh, I might be horribly wrong here and offended some WWE fans. But pretty certain he's not Russian. I think well, he's American. Didn't like Scott Hall. By the way, I saw that documentary recommended the um, the one on Jake the Snake. Ah oh, yes, <clears throat> I thought it was pretty good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, with the um, for those that didn't listen to that episode, we're talking about um, Jake the Snake's the wrestling documentary about Jake the Snake Roberts, and he gets helped by an ex wrestler called Diamond Dallas Page. So we were talking about the Hall of Fame or something, weren't we, I seem to remember, or something like that. Uh, we were talking about some sort of wrestling thing uh, a few podcasts ago. And yeah, I still recommended it to Ricky. Yeah, it's on Netflix for people who are interested. But yeah, no, it's good, isn't it? I I, I really liked it. So they made, they, made, they made Scott Hall. Was it Razor Ramon? Yes. He, had, he was like from, like, going to be from Latin America and he had that accent. and Yeah. You know who I am, like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, are we going to take it? Oh, whoa. <laughs> this is like, always had a toothpick in his mouth. And they're like, um, it, it makes you think if you go back to wrestling, particularly that era, like 90s, which is our generation. Um, I know we talk about wrestling a lot, so we'll not talk about it forever. But um, uh, yeah, it's, the, <laughs> it's just the stereotypes, like, you know, surely must have got, like, people going, it's a bit discriminatory, this thing, like, loads of stereotypes here, like, you know, I mean, I guess that, I mean, art, in a sense, does deal with stereotypes, but uh, wrestling used to take it way, way over the edge, like, um, you know, like, a Mexican always has to have, like, a sombrero, and <laughs> a, in a, in a, you know, one of the, and the, them oh, hats. Yeah. And wasn't he, and then he became El Matador, and Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there was another guy, um, a, a, a singer called Fandango. Yeah, he, he, he's a more recent one, and he came out and danced a lot, and he was like, had a sort of Mexican. Uh, it was not really Mexican; it was more Latino, Latino. But he came out like you know, he had like a, you know, he used to come out um, with the with his girl partner and do like you know, like he was doing the the ole type things, and it was it was ridiculous. And it was like he's a wrestler, um, and yeah, it was very stereotypical. But I mean, they look at things and go, they want to just you know satisfy certain demographics, but you know. It's a little bit basic, I always thought, but, you know, there you go. With, but, like, with um, a lot of the British people that I've had, they've always had them, like, dressed in royal regalia, and, or, because um, that's a stereotype that they have of Brits, wasn't it, that, like, the royal family and all that, and there must be, um, was it Steve Regal, I think, wasn't he? He used to come in wearing a crown and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they made him into this English count, because um, I remember when he was with... When he was in WCW, um, they teamed him with Hunter Hearst Helmsley, which is Triple H now. Um, and that's how he started, is that when they went to WCW, they went, want to make him like this, like, aristocrat. And they, yeah. Hunter Hearst Helmsley was French, so they teamed him with Steve William Regal, who I think, you're right, I think he wasn't called William Regal then, because they were called him like just some, he was some, like, but he was like a count. And he used to dress like almost like a Drac, like he looked like Dracula, like like an old school Dracula, like as and he had the whole like um, ribbony things and like you know d- and drapes and all that kind of thing, and it was ridiculous. Um, uh, but yeah, so yeah, WCW was just as bad. Yeah, but anyway, but you, uh, I mentioned before is Nikolai Volkov. Was he was he properly Russian then, or was he? I don't know. It's a really good question. I don't know. Um, I'm assuming some of them were. I mean, like obviously, if you talk about more. The Iron Sheik, for example, was actually Iranian, and um, for ex- he's the, the the more the more well known one that I wanna that I would say. Because um, ha- I know how he got his start, but I mean we could talk about this forever. So apologies if this bores you. If anyone's wrestling, we'll get on to something else. I promise. We'll talk about the beast from the east <laughs> in a second, because um, it is interesting. Because obviously, as we're recording this on the twenty eighth of February, like it's really hitting home the beast from the east, which is a weather front that's hitting the UK at the moment, which we'll get to later. But uh, yeah, so Iron Sheik, 
I know his story about how he got into wrestling, um, and um, it's really fascinating. Um, he trained the Olympic wrestling team in 1978, um, and he trained all the Olympic wrestlers, and he was a legit world class like freestyle wrestler, sort of like Kurt the Kurt Angle of his of his era, yeah. and um, and uh, yeah, he um, got seen by Vince. Wrestled for the WWE, which it was at the time, and then did the whole thing with Hogan. And uh, because of the Iranian hostage crisis, because he teamed up with Sergeant Slaughter, um, which was regarded as bad taste at the time. Have you ever re- re- it's fascinating hearing Sergeant Slaughter talk about that because how much people believed it in the 80s that he said he had to have armed bodyguards follow him when he joined Diane Sheik and said that he believed in the Iranians and had Saddam Hussein. Because, um, he, you'd get his like tires slashed, and people would like try and you know knife him when he was like walking around the streets and stuff, and his family got threatened. Well, the Americans are they're notorious for when whatever whatever's going on in the world, they were portrayed in whatever kind of <clears throat> entertainment industry they would they would like put out. So yeah, yeah, it, around the time of the Gulf War, they put Slaughter together with the Iron Sheik. Was it General That's right. Adnan? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And the weird thing is, they did the same, um, I don't know if you know this, but the, around the time the Ryder Cup um, was, was on, and they made the US team, their their uniform was like a camouflage, like a standard <laughs> camouflage. Really? I do yeah. not know that. That's 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 brilliant if it's true. <laughs> and another another weird reference. Um, <laughs> that is so ridiculous. How, did they, did it, were they like literally in camouflage? Because... Also, if it's a, if it's a Ryder Cup, it's in a golf course which is green, so you just loads of floating heads. <laughs> <laughs> well, sand camouflage, especially because so when they're in the bunker, you you only see it. <laughs> That's so brilliant! Like they get up, they get up to they get up to tee off, and it's just like right, the invisible man's about to take the uh, about to take the tee off right now. Um, can't, we can't, you know, I'd love to tell it who it is, but we can't literally see him right now. Um, all we know is that he's got he's getting. Well, we know what club he's getting. Uh, but um, <laughs> that's so brilliant. That, that, I, I'm hoping that's true. That's that sounds that sounds so ridiculous. That I bet that's true. I'm sure, it's true. Yeah. But another thing, um, my one of my favorite bands, The Clash. You know, they've got that yes. song called "Rock the Casper." Yeah. And the, the, the American <laughs> Forces mm-hmm. used to put up, used to play that all the time during the time of the Gulf War because they were literally rocking the Casper with all their guns and bombs and things and the Clash are notoriously sort of anti-war. So it was like a huge irony at the time that they'd be playing a, playing a, a Clash song. That they, yeah. One of the funniest things I ever heard the army did, which I know is like totally random, I've already got off on a million tangents, but it's, it's fun, is um, just a little round of bit of trivia. I so wish I remembered which artist it was. And I can't remember where I heard this. It was some program. I think it might have been Howard Stern. It was something like that. But our, what the army used to do, either in the Iraq war or something like that, but there was some guy... Um, like had a bunch of hostages inside a house and they managed to persuade him to come out after like a stalemate because they just played like um you know like Christa Berg song over and over again yeah. something like that it was something like Christa Berg but um they just kept like um playing was like Lionel Richie or something but whoever it is I apologize I, I, I'm saying this uh, you know don't don't sue me anyone who uh, if I get the song wrong you know some artists going how dare you um my, my songs aren't annoying um but no like some sort of annoying song got repeated over and over again for days on end that eventually the guy just gave up and went I relent please turn that fucking thing off <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, well it's it's a common that the that the um the CIA use <coughs> a certain um Genres of music, especially like heavy metal, to um, you know drive people. people out of yeah. Out of, um, yeah. I think I could, I could see that being unbelievably effective because there's some music that makes me want to tell anybody anything <laughs> to get it to stop. Well, what, um, what's, what's the film um, that describes the capture of Bin Laden? Um, I forget what it was. Now it won an Oscar, didn't it? Oh uh, God. Not the Hurt Locker. It was the other yeah, one. Yeah, I was. You know, this. That's what I was thinking when you said that. Damn it. Is it called something hour? No. Uh, uh, yes. I think I think Fine, hour is finest hour or something? I don't know. Final uh, hour? No. No. Bin yeah. Well Google let's Google. Let's Google. Bin Laden Film. Sorry, I've got a I've got a double monitor workshop here. 
I will type it in. It's viewer dog thirty. That's it. That's yeah. it. The start of the film um, is a scene of that where um, I haven't seen it actually. I should watch it. It's all right. Yeah. Um, where they the first the, yeah almost the very first scene I think they they have a hostage they have a, a captured prisoner of war uh, and they have like he's hooded and they play this like thrash metal like death thrash metal whatever it is and uh, <laughs> until he relents yeah. <laughs> I can totally see that working, as I say, like, I mean, I get annoyed at, like, just going around shops and hearing Christmas music being repeated, so you imagine how I feel, like, about songs I really don't like. Like, I'd, I'd be just like, okay, I'll do whatever, I'll do whatever you want. Well, here's, um, here's another, here's another, again, a slight tangent, but a weird fact. Another one, another one of my favourite bands, Kraftwerk, mm-hmm. they they were heavily influenced by, like, Muzak or... Not not music, but like in sort of sounds that nat- natural sounds, but also sounds that you'd hear the mechanical works of a thing would would um like make, and that's what influenced them. Mm-hmm. And when I I, th- I heard a story that when they were when they were in New York, they were going up a lift, and they were so they were so loving the music of the the lift, but, you know, the the mechanics of it, and then this music got um, got played over the top. All right. So I've got out a, a pair of scissors and like. Like broke open the the wire and, and was able to cut the music off just to listen to the sounds of the lift going up and down because it was like you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Like I mean, it's amazing how many. Um, I could actually tie this in to, for it to make like make it sound like we were doing a coherent conversation. Is um. Uh, an example of uh, I'm, uh, what I was about to say was there's a million things about stuff that fucks like that are, that is a complete accident that becomes brilliant. I think that happens more often than people realise. And the one that comes to mind when you were talking there, like to to compare, like to go back to what we talked about, a uh, uh, thing about we talked about earlier, like wrestling, um, the out the um, NWO promos, which were promos are like basically when they do like stuff to the camera and call wrestlers out and stuff, that's what it's called in the industry, and the bits where they're doing the black and white vignettes, you know the bit where it goes, this has been paid for by the New World Order, and then it's like Hulk Hogan going, we're gonna come and stop you, and it was like regarded as like unbelievably like um, original at the time, and they're, they're phenomenal, and I saw an interview with Eric Bischoff who basically in about 10 minutes described how it was a complete accident um the reason that they did the black and white and they did it so quickly these quick cuts is because um scott hall kevin nash and hulk hogan were like the biggest procrastinators on the planet earth and they could never get them to do things more than two minutes at a time so they just went can you just say this line and then cut it all together um so it looks like all this fast-paced like really cool rebellious uh editing and it was actually just done for time and it just worked out that way. Um, and I, I, I then promos are like, oh, it just makes you think now. It's funny, um, this is legitimately true. Uh, as I was going to my mum's today, which I'm sure I will get maybe talk about at some point uh, in this podcast, about just looking after my mum, is that um, I listened to a wrestling podcast from a while ago. And it was not that long ago, it was like a few, five, three, four, five years ago. And it makes me just think how much terrible wrestling's got since that period of time, because it's do. so terrible now. Like, you know, just hear people podcasting about, like, doing reviews of shows and just saying how stupid the writing is and how nothing makes sense. And it's all about them doing all these eccentric moves and not, there's no storylines anymore. And it's just, it's dull. Whereas, like, it's 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 lost the whole thing of this guy hates this guy and let's see who wins and like we all know it's fake but do something fun with it um, uh, it's lost it's it's lost it's charm for me well you um, for me it's like you know yeah. I remember like in the, ni- the late 80s early 90s when I was into it um, there were proper bona fide interesting characters then from from your, the likes of your your Andre the Giants to um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, your, your Jim Duggins, your Nasty Boys, Legion of Doom, Warrior, and all them, Mister Perfect, Million Dollar Man. They yeah. were just gen- like brilliant characters. Personalities, I, yeah. I look around them now, and they just look all the same. They're yeah, like, they lived. They lived their characters, and they were all like different. Yeah, I totally agree. After that, when I wasn't interested anymore, where I was kind of ashamed and embarrassed to admit that I used to uh, like that sort of thing. I, I, I guess it was a kind of a sheep mentality because all my mates at the time were as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I ended up going to SummerSlam when it came to London. <clears throat> and then, you know, I saw some of them. That's kind of cool. 
your, your um, warriors and macho mans and stuff and, and yeah um, and then I got kind of like I didn't want to admit it but then something actually made me think and this this is going back to Stern um, you know when they were paying tribute to um, Eric Lynch aka um, Eric the Midget his sort of a, a slightly less politically correct name but um, and they were discussing him um, in, in some of the tribute shows as to like why he liked the, some of the stuff that he did and the way he used to talk about wrestling, for example, and they used to rip the piss out of them. But then they re- reflect back on it, and they think, well, for someone like him, um, given the comp- the capacity he was in, mm-hmm. it was it, you can understand why someone would like him would look up to uh, and want to like sort of people like that who who he saw as superheroes. Yeah, yeah, totally. In and, and I got it, mm-hmm. and I thought. And that's what it does for a lot of people. Yeah, I remember seeing videos of him talking about because they got him to go to some of the shows, and there were there was apparently one video asshole where they, they said the WWE wanted him to be in an angle, but apparently he was being such an asshole about his like his what he wanted, like what he wanted them to do that they didn't. They, like, they, yeah, he did give them like a list of demands, didn't he? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, apparently, like he like. They paid for us. There was one video I saw, right, which shows you that it's a little bit like, you know, I, I, I don't mind people helping people out, like famous people helping people less fortunate. But then when they, when they start scrounging, that, 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 that comes across as quite, you know, bad. The reason I say that is um, the, the, the video that I'm talking about, because I'm talking about Eric the Midget, who is the whack pack for Howard Stern's radio show, for those that, you know, Google it if you don't want to know more about what we're talking about. But, um, but yeah, so there's a video where he talks about WWE, and then the guy who organised it rings the programme and goes, uh, I got sent a bill from Eric the Midget's hotel room of all the stuff that he'd done in the hotel room. When we paid for his flight, we paid for his tickets, he got backstage access, and all this kind of thing. And then he sends us a bill with all the stuff that he'd done in the hotel room, like all the stuff he took from the mini bar, and all the stuff he ordered for room service. And they're all, and he's just, he, and they're going, like, it's a little bit like taking the piss. Like, when the guy go when he's like, I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, check for like, I don't know, a couple of, uh, a bill for like a couple of hundred dollars. With Eric, Eric going, you know, you could just send me as a check anytime you want, you know, that would be great. And they're all going, hang on a minute, we've just spent, you know, and the guy was quite honest and went, like, we probably spent, Eric, about $5,000 or something to get you to come to this event, you know, because of all your, your disability and everything. That's got to be taken into account in terms of expenses. And yeah, and just like, yeah, and they just, and he's there, like, put this, this 200, uh, $200 bill, please, if you could just, um, you know, Transact minute. Um, it, it, that, that does kind of go over, but like you know. You see, that's why that's why he's my favorite whack pack because if you listen to his phone calls <laughs> from the very from the very beginning, you could see how kind of shy and timid he was. You know, he, he was someone who who didn't have much self esteem, and he got angered by uh, Stern's um, disapproval of was it America's Got Talent or something, and he kept rang in to defend one of them. But what I love about him is that you see him evolving to someone who didn't think that much of himself. Obviously, you know, he was, you know, had a severe disability and he couldn't get what he wanted in life, couldn't do what he would like to in life. Yeah. And then suddenly to to change into this person where you would give him, like, as you say, a list of demands and he'd totally rip the piss and... That's that's why I endeared to him, and, and I thought, oh... I missed, I missed, I, I miss, um, when you listen to the old school ones, I just liked when he rang in and called Artie a fat ass. <laughs> he used to always, add, he used to go, like, it's fat ass there, and it was, it was great, even though, like, it's politically, I don't like anyone listening to this, I apologise for us being politically incorrect, but, like, we're not really in a sense, because I'm paraphrasing what they've said, but it's a politically incorrect show, how it's done, if you've obviously when he, when he came into the studio, he actually wore a pin badge saying fat ass, and <laughs> See, that's, my, just, that's my funny, favorite. people shouldn't take themselves so seriously, that's just funny. Like, my favourite yeah. all-time call from him, though, was when... Um, <laughs> Oh, it's the same as mine. It's so funny. I've got one. Johnny Johnny Frado, who who sadly passed away as well not so long ago. All right, yeah. But he he's the was he the son of uh, the Amer- American uh, gangster? Wasn't yeah, he? Maf- a mafia leader, wasn't it? Yeah, because he he um he used to see his dad like murder people and all sorts of terrible yeah, stuff. Yeah. But he's with with Eric, and then and then he rang and he says, Howard, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it, I've got to play you this phone message I got from Eric. Because somebody had phoned uh, Stern like the previous week or something, pre- saying that he used to know Eric and that he used to be a right arse at school, like you know, because he, he complained that uh, he didn't pass his exams because there was loads of drilling outside for the ramps for Eric's wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you blame Eric for not for not um, passing exams or something like that. And then Eric had had heard this and he got so incensed. So he, so he rang in. Uh, he rang. He rang Johnny Frod up and says, "Look, look, I want you to find this guy, and I want you to, uh, you know what to do, which is called like you know, do him in." So <laughs> just the, the balls that, that that Eric grew from the beginning to end was like is is what is what made him special. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the funny one. That last one. This is the last one I'll say. Then we'll we'll talk about other things. But the, the my favorite one. I do sort of vaguely remember the one you just described. But the one that um, always sticks with me, which I, when I first saw it, I honestly just I couldn't I couldn't hold in my laughter. It was the funniest shit I've ever seen. Is um uh the one where he um he he emails in his latest script for his like um film. And he gets Artie to read it on the air, and they're going, this is like, and the bit where, like, they're all, like, like, Artie reads it to himself and goes, this is like, you know, copyright, we're going to get sued, and they're like, why? And he went, he's bloody ripped off Charlie's Angels? <laughs> like, oh, it's clearly Charlie Angels, and then Eric's, like, on the phone going, it's not, just read it, just read it, and then he goes... And, and Howard's like, well, it might be different. He might put a new spin on it. And he goes, no, seriously, Howard, we're gonna get we're gonna get in trouble. And he goes, I'll just read you the first line. And he reads the first line. And he goes, hello, angels. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just the funniest thing. And literally, it's just like everything is basically Charlie's angels. And he's like, he starts reading it, and it's the. It's just literally like watching the opening bit. It's like, hello, angels. Hi, everybody. You know, and it's like three long, three bond bombshells are in an office. Um, and it just changed. Like, it, because it became such a kind of minor celebrity that, you know, he used to run off to the Playboy Mansion on his own and, yeah, just stick it on their bill. They'll take care of it. And yeah. just just the bulls on them, you know. Well, pretty much a lot of the Wack Pack guys, I mean, to be honest, like, if you read, watch all of them, they all kind of... But in a way, that's the benefit. Howard gave them handouts because they then became part of the show. So it it, it served a purpose. You see, you see what I'm saying. It might not be, it might be questionable doing that to vulnerable people. But that's ultimately what he did, isn't it? Is he gave them some stuff to do in exchange for that they talked about it on the show before? Like, because remember when they were dis- discussing like who should be in a whack pack? Yeah. And the Iron Sheik got um. Reference, but they agreed that he shouldn't be because he was already kind of nuts and famous. But yes, the way how Howard became a fan of him because Howard he described him as um, um, when he, he his dad took him to a wrestling show on Miami Beach, and uh, that's where the, he first saw the Iron Sheik. So it kind of started from there. That's how that's how the Iron Sheik became a regular. But mm-hmm. yeah, he, he himself on on his stern shows is like hilarious. Uh, that's fun. that's another funny clip where hit Iron Sheik and Beetlejuice saw like striking each other in the changing room. Yeah, that's great. He's like, you motherfucker! Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, you're talking shit. And he's like, I'm, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. Because, I mean, the side, the comparison between but Beetlejuice, the way he kind of fronts up to him and says, you know, how do you want to take me on? I know, yeah. You don't know shit. You don't know shit, man. <laughs> and Iron Sheik's like, I'm gonna kill you, man. Yeah, it's great. Um. Anyway, um, but yeah, so the the yeah, I, I have no idea how this all originally started. We were on a total tangent city, but it was oh, we were talking about the wrestling documentary, and I don't know well, how we got onto that, but that was yeah, the Jake the Snake and and all sorts of other things. And uh, well, I, well, I think all this came about because we said Beast on the East, didn't we? Which sounded like a a headline for a Russian. That was it. That's how we got into wrestling because of the Russian connection thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so obviously, because I'm going to title this podcast this, we should talk about Beast from the East, like, um, as in the weather conditions, so I'll provide a summary for those that don't know, who's, who's you know, because obviously listening, just listening, maybe hopefully just relaxing listening to the show, is that, and the Beast from the East, if you haven't seen on, uh, if you're not from like Europe in particular, is a weather front from a storm that happened somewhere east from here, I'm guessing, because that's why it's called Beast from the East, and... Um, it's hitting the east of the UK, and most of the UK, but particularly the east is most east of the UK has been affected. And obviously, we're in the northeast of England right now, recording this podcast. And it is literally like a blizzard. Um, it's funny because what I what I must remember to say is I have a friend uh, called Michelle who lives in Chicago, and I sent her a direct message on Twitter, 
And um, I basically joke with I go, and I bet you look at this and like laugh and go amateurs because, <laughs> um, like you know they probably deal with this all the time. But anyway, so um, it, it's affecting us because obviously it's like minus minus degree conditions, um, and you know it's loads of warnings from the the the, the weather the, the the weather people, um, the met was it met office I think is what they call it, um. And yeah, so um, a lot of like snowy conditions and people have been asked to go away from work and work from home and just really terrible conditions in terms of walking. So like, so in terms of, you know, because it's interesting because I can ask Ricky this, is this, so like how is it, uh, has has the weather storm so far this week affected you at all and how? <laughs> well, <laughs> you're, you're he's, currently in a, he's currently in an igloo right now, I know he can't see it, but... <laughs> Like, that'd be so brilliant. So I'm currently reporting Stephen from an igloo because <laughs> my house is uh, is caved in. Uh, under normal circumstances, <laughs> it, it, I guess it would affect me, obviously, as it would everyone else. Yes. The 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 weird thing is, for your listeners, I've been like preoccupied for the last uh, six weeks, shall we say? Because uh-huh. I've been like full time caring for me mum. Yeah. So I've hardly been outside since all that time. The only time I've been out is for uh, hospital appointments, the physios and that sort of thing, food shopping. Um, so, n- yeah, under normal circumstances, it would if I was out every day going to the office like I usually do. So, in a way, I've hardly been affected. Although today I did have to make a dash <clears throat> to do some uh, uh, food shopping because we've been, like, you know, eating like... Uh, eating like pigs because like you know when you're not getting uh, regular uh, things coming in and you have to dash out at odd moments to uh, yeah but uh, yeah I mean I've, do you remember the great snowstorm of um, 2010 uh, probably because it doesn't snow very often <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I do remember it like when it was really bad yeah well, I remember specifically because uh, a, fr- a colleague of mine who an activist friend of mine uh, a friend my friend called Julie she she passed away under tragic circumstances, and oh. me, me and a couple of uh, friends, activist friends, tried to put on a memorial for her. And we we did have everything organised, um, but important that snowstorm came along and put a halt to everything. Oh, that's not. Fun. People were coming from afar. That's not. Um, so yeah, that this is the nearest I can remember to to, to that time. Um, just coming back today, you're just walking along the middle of the road because it was a. Uh, Less slippery than on the pavements, and uh, uh, it's amazing to think that we're. This is this is what I, I'm pr- uh, paraphrasing what my friend Michelle sometimes says is that we are essentially an island, yeah. so we should really be prepared to be bombarded on all sides from weather conditions, and yet. As soon as it snows, we just can't get our shit together. Like you know, we've got no idea how to handle it. Like like uh, um, when when uh, like as I said in America, like Michelle tells me all the time, if like something happens in Chicago snow-wise, they've got like snow plows, um, they've all got like you know you know what to do, and you're all like briefed on what you should be doing. Like, whereas now, the reason that it's such a big deal and they're calling it the beast from the east, it sounds like a, um, a like a B-movie sci-fi film, doesn't it? Like, the beast from the east. Like, sort of, um, Sharkanoid, Sharkanoid Air uh, 4 or something. <laughs> beast from yeah. the east. Um, but yeah, we're attacked by a giant octopus, that's what's going on. Um, uh, but yeah, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, they, they they all like have the the equipment to deal with it because they have snow more often than we do. Whereas now the reason that, that it's such a big deal and everyone's talking about it is because um, the, um, the like people have been asked to like go home from work and like um, tra- transports um, uh, transports being cut off and all that kind of thing, um, which is obviously rare for, for for England to do that or uh, Scotland Scotland are getting the most of it today apparently. Um, but yeah, so it is kind of weird, but. Um, uh, and I think, obviously, to be serious about it for a second, is that the thing that I keep fi- mostly think about in these circumstances is just mi- hoping that people, like, get enough heat and enough warmth, like the people who aren't sheltered. You know, it makes you very grateful about having a place and have a place that's heated and all that kind of thing. So that's what worries me the most. Well, can, I, um, can, I, can, I throw, can I throw a spanner in the works? Yeah, sure. Of, like you say, we're not prepared. Um what if this is going to become? This is it might increasingly become the norm in terms of Ooh. climate change and. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, 
Because the, the other factor is, is that we've lost ha- we've lost half our American audience now. He's talking about global. He's climate change, people. <laughs> you no, mean no, you mean I you mean that thing that doesn't exist, Ricky? Yes, yeah. oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trump regularly r- yeah. rubbish. Yeah. yeah. His. But but um, but Ricky, uh, it snowed. Uh, it snowed at Christmas. That means there's no climate change. Right. <laughs> You're so right. No, sorry, go on. I just was making a silly joke. But yeah, go on. Just because the other, the, other, the other massive weather changes we've had in recent times is the amount of flooding that we had. Do you not think mm. that's sort of increased? No, no, yeah. I've seen my, rain and well, fall often, yeah. See, my mum, right, she she came from India in the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and even she said in her observations that in all my time I've been living here... Um, it seems that flooding seems to be increasing more and more and more so. Um, I know that over here that um, there was a specific climate change team, which is in the DEFRA department. DEFRA is like our environment, the government's environmental uh, and rural affairs um, like body. Um, and through cuts, they decided to cut climate change because... Uh, I wouldn't say just that not just the, the current government, but the previous government are, were full of climate sceptics. Um, but also, because of this whole Brexit thing, um, the EU has like a pot of money, which anyone, any country within the EU needs like emergency relief money who've gone through like a, a natural disaster, mm-hmm. uh, it, be it flooding, be it sort of like, you know, earth, well, whatever. I mean, earthquakes are not common in Europe, but, um, well, it is in some places like Italy, but if they need funds because of natural phenomenons that they need help with humanity, th- there is money available. But again, because of our governments have been uh, Eurosceptics as well, they've decided, <laughs> not, they've decided not to take that money up. Hence, as you said at the start, we don't seem to get our shit together with it. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I mean there's, an, there's an obvious serious point to add to that. I mean, it's quite relevant what we're talking about because obviously the whole thing about tsunamis and the you know Haiti the Haiti situation right now I don't know if you've read that article but the thing about was it Oxfam of all the yeah. people who were using the money and not using the money correctly and hiring prostitutes I was so devastated because I, I volunteered for Oxfam yeah I, I, I mean you know it's one part of their organisation so you might not be able you might not tar them all with the same brush but exactly. it's still terrible it's still terrible um, and it does make you think you know, I, I remember having this conversation with my girlfriend where basically a very, very fair point because we're thinking about donating clothes and stuff to like homeless charities or something like that um, based on this weather condition and whatnot. We've been talking about it. We were talking about it today. And she basically made a really, really good point going, when you hear about these stories, it makes you kind of think like, maybe I should just not, um, maybe I should just not just donate the money and do it grassroots level, as in, if I just donate something to somebody, and, like, someone helps me with that transaction, then I literally know where my stuff's going. Because, you know, if you give money to... You know, if you give a transaction money to somebody, it's like donating to a streamer on the internet, you have no idea what they spend their money on. You know, you want them to spend well, you want them to spend money on your on on you on whatever it is that they're doing. But there's a there's a know? radio there's a radio four um, discussion program called Any Questions. It's on every Friday. It's, mm-hmm. it's like the radio version of Question Time. It's yes. on every sort of Friday evening. Yeah. Um, and I heard one brilliant quote. In fact, I'm going to bring up um, just while I talk to you. I'm going to bring up the tweet if I can because I remember tweeting it. Sure. But it it, it does sum up pretty much um, my feelings on on the whole thing as well because I've I've given my time and money to charities like pretty much all my teenage and adult life um, I do whilst I understand people's uh, res- reservations about charities and even before this scandal they've, they've had a lot of bad press like you know like cold callers um, uh, chuggers in the street I mean I don't mind people like that but obviously if you're persistent calling um um, and you know that there's vulnerable people out there who could, who could part with their life savings if you give them a, you know, a story which they might be affected. You know. That, then, that, yeah. Thank you. For, thank you for saying that. That's exactly my argument against it. That, um, they they say that they're helping vulnerable people, but I don't think that justifies 
going after vulnerable people to take their money off them. That 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 to me is entirely hypocritical. Um, obviously, you know, just for the benefit of being fair, that's not the case in every situation. But that is literally, you know, because organisations. I've worked for charities before, as Ricky knows. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. Is that um um the problem is is that when when charities now are run in a capitalist society. So if we talk about anything in the West, so like Europe or um, America um, or South America, even to a certain extent, um, they're all run in a capitalist way. Is then they have to cover costs just for themselves. The problem with that way of doing it, which is why a lot more people are recommended to go to non-profit organisations who just have people who volunteer, it means that they don't get that much widespread help as much as a proper organisation would do. But the problem, I don't think people spend enough time thinking of this, is that they want to cover costs first, which sounds crazy and go, well, that's obvious, Stephen. But then think about what a charity is supposed to do. It's supposed to take that money and give it to the people that they're helping, but they give it to themselves first and then the person that helps. So the people, by definition, running it that way, the people that are wanting the help are getting... The, the 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 end of the deal like so they're not getting treated first they're second in this equation they're they're treated um they're not like the 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 be all and end all that that's that's why um I, I, when I work at Northumbria Uni on the social work course and this is a random this is a, this is a, a, a good comparison though is that I always say to them that like if you really want to help somebody and know that you're making good decisions and you see the results firsthand like be a support worker or whatever like work at the grassroots level be a carer or whatever because you'll see the results right in front of you yeah. Um, that's far better yeah. you know this is why I hate you know a, a lot of people who make the really tough decisions about people do it in meeting rooms where they never actually meet the person who they're helping and that's what I think ultimately needs to change in, in all aspects of of, of you know charities and, and, and helping people I know that's a very wide point but I think it's an important one um, well, no, yeah. I think I think we've reached a, an era in history now where all these sorts of institutions we've kind of endeared and treasured. Um, we found out recently that if you scratch underneath the surface, there's something horrible going on. And I, I think I think it's going on everywhere. We've seen it with kind of Hollywood, and we've seen it with um, <clears throat> with football clubs. I mean, when I going back to the the point I was making about the radio show, yes, the go, TV, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, a lady called Baroness Wolsey. She's the um, she's the former Conservative Party chairman. So naturally, I don't agree with everything that she says, mm-hmm. but she did say something quite quite uh, profound uh, last Friday when it was on. So she said that look, if we if we were to shut down all the charities now because of abuse, then we're going to have to shut down a hell of a lot of other things, including Westminster. Of course, there's a, a current Westminster scandal about abuse carried out by politicians, you know, um, going back historically and sometimes probably even more recently. But then it's not just that, is it? Because, you know, for decades we've had it in, the, in boarding schools, we've had it at the Catholic Church, more recently now with football clubs. The BBC, um, you know, a much cherished institution, there's abuses going on there. So so where do you stop? Um, we just got to admit now that every institution has had their fair share of bad apples. Um, they're just going to have to work harder to root them out and the prevent pro- the, the, the Hopefully, what great points, and you're quite right. And it, uh, uh, What I'm hoping, I guess, to be the the hopeless optimist, as I sometimes jokingly refer to myself as, but like the hopeless optimist I have, even though obviously all the examples you just said are quite rightly horrible and disgusting, and still problem, there's still a problem that's not fi- easily fixable. But hopefully we're reaching a society that basically has the approach of you're not going to get away with this shit anymore yeah like that's what i hope comes out of it the most because the problem is is that this is why i completely agree with people who go after you know institutions who don't apologize or don't take any responsibility for like saying oh it's an individual but you're you're responsible in the sense that you hire these people mm-hmm. and you you should you should but it's it's a very thin line isn't it because i think about that situation and go it's a bit like being a, a social worker or, or, or is a good example of this or or a care or whatever 
is there's got to be you can't get rid of completely the trust aspect of trusting a person to do their job like that's the individual responsibility that you can't really take away so it's a bit like bill maher makes this point in america and i think he's right you know, I saw this in an Oxford Union debate. He was, he was at the Oxford Union doing an interview. Yeah, I saw that. I saw it, that on YouTube, yeah. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? And <laughs> the, the, the one thing that I took out of it, which he said, which I think was a fantastic point, is someone said, what do you do about dr- like the war on drugs or whatever? Like, how do you regulate it? How do you make sure people are okay? Because someone mentioned about people who were doing marijuana use were, like, crashing cars. Like, there was an increase in people crashing cars while high in, like, the states that got agreed to do cannabis being legal in, in america and his response was well it depends how safe you want safe to be and he went on to say if you want everything to be regulated and everyone to be as safe as possible have a police state where everything's regulated the problem with that is that you eliminate free speech and you eliminate the ability for people to make choices and ultimately if you want to live in democracy in particular which is what we're basing these countries on then the only way a democracy works is you've got to have some elements of the individual having a choice in what they would like to do and 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 whatnot. And 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 if you're liberal in nature, like I feel that I am, is I agree with them in in principle. And that it, it if you do have a run a police state, you're essentially taking away people's individual responsibility. And I and I don't think you can do that completely. But at the same time, the just the the the, the examples you just gave, like the BBC must have known that Jimmy Savile, for example, was doing what he was doing. They must well, have known. They must have known. Well, like, let me, it, it, and, you know, make a, let me make a. So there is responsibility for the company too. Is my point? Well, the thing is, yeah, but but a lot of people did know what was going on. But because Jimmy was raising loads for charity <sighs> and because he was considered an asset, people were just scared to say anything. I'm not convinced. Not convinced by that argument. Um, there's, a, there's a famous um, bit of audio. Um, I see. I'm, I'm currently reading a, a book called Lonely Boy by Steve Jones, uh, the the Sex Pistols. Oh yeah, we've both talked about. We've talked about how much we like. Yeah. I, I like him a lot. And he referenced it in his book as well. John John Lydon um, mm-hmm. got interviewed in 1978, and mm-hmm. <clears throat> you'll find this on YouTube. And he gets some reference was made about Jimmy Savile. And he says, oh, yeah, Jimmy Savile, yeah, we're not allowed to talk about him, are we? Yeah, we all know what's going on really with him. So he was, and this is going back to 1978, and I don't I don't know if the reporter was a BBC uh, person or not, but you just imagine if things were taken seriously then, if, if word was known about um, what, what, he, what he and his cohorts were getting up to, then, you know... It could well have been a different outcome. He could have been. I think stopped. I did see clips of that interview. Yeah, I might have seen he, it. Yeah, he played it. He was recently on um, Piers Morgan show. And That's right. Yeah. Well, because um, wasn't the whole idea of that he said that he brought it up at the time and nobody picked it up? Wasn't that the idea? Yeah. 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 Yes. So I think I seen the interview and saw the clip of them playing the old one. I think that's what I saw. Yeah. Another, another, another sad bit of footage, I guess, is like um, Louis Theroux, the documentary maker. He, he did a, a, a bit a skit with um, Jimmy Savile going back when was it like fifteen years or something, and even he, and his his uh, production team, there were hints there that, you know, this guy is just not behaving Appropri- normally. Appropriately, yeah. very odd. Um, he's, he's he's shown very odd behaviour here that they didn't like pick up on. And then, obviously, after everything that happened, he did a follow-up. So he met with a. He met I with remember a, this, yeah. Yeah, he he met with abuse victims of Jimmy's, and uh, you could see you could see Louis here how he how bad he felt and how kind of like you know he, he was sucked into the world of the of fame of this guy of this eccentric this Britain's most famous eccentric, and he was like gutted that he never got to sort of like do more about it or pick up on it. And but I guess he's he was like everybody else. We all. Saw him on TV and thought he was like this, you know, this money, this fundraising guy. Yes, he's an eccentric, but isn't he a bit sort of charming and all that? And um, and when he spoke to the victims, he asked them, um, so what did you think when you saw that documentary with me? And they all said, more or less said, oh, poor, poor Louis, poor you, you've been sucked in. If only you really knew. Um, but the other more startling bit of it was that he he um he met with Jimmy's PA, mm-hmm. and she's in complete denial about everything that's came out. Yeah. He, she's like uh, you know she just refuses to believe that she thinks that 
all the victims are just like money grabbing people who are just like in it to get some fame and stuff. Yeah, because that many people go. Well, but you know what well, else she said? She said, you know, I think these women should. I think she was talking about. I mean, this was before the whole Me Too thing, but you could sense around that victims of abuse were starting to come forward, and and she she had a she had a, a blast against them as well. She said that you know. You know, women who who get that sort of attention should consider themselves lucky. Like you know, yeah. uh, and then she said, if if I got a pat of, a pat on the arse back then by 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 a guy, I I, I would think, oh, I'd be like flattered and you know. No, but yeah, that that that's such a ridiculous way of looking at things. <laughs> that's just that's somebody who just doesn't get enough attention. Who, but you could get a sense of. If that's the sort of attitude that people had at the time, then no wonder abusers got away with. Something. Well, yeah, because they go like, "Oh, what's the big deal?" But it's like it's all about it's all about what people are comfortable with, you know. Because I always look at it as, why does it all like I I I, I t- me and my girlfriend talk about the debate about these things all the time, for example, and I, and I, I I see it often. Um, why is it why does it always become a gender issue? That's what I, I I never understand about whenever people debate these things in mainstream. They want to pigeonhole it and say, obviously, you know, women. Are, 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 this seems so obvious to say, but that's what a lot of journalism does. Is they say state the obvious. They don't state what people should be sort of second guessing things because it's obvious that women like get treated worse because of everything that's happened. Like they're going to be more objectified and all this kind of thing. Like that, that's obvious to say. I think it it it, it seems you know because of the way, like you said, the way that they've been looked at, the the whole sort of you know world war approach of like a woman's meant to be a housewife and looked but not do anything constructive, yeah. all that kind of like old school mentality has obviously leaked on to and continued with certain people, um, and we are trying to make a more equality ridden, an equality society in that sense, in every sense of the word, but. The idea that, like, for example, abuse in any form is just what women go through, I find very well, we just had appa- a, appalling, like, you know? I think, just, I think we're just, it's the tip of the iceberg, but this current football scandal. Yes. Um, all these all these young boys that were victims of abuse. Because uh, I think the more important point to make there, exactly, like, the more important, the point I'm sort of leading towards is to say, it's, it's probably, just as it's, like, more common, probably you know in an obvious sense that it happens to women more often there's yeah. just probably as much more it happens to guys who feel so embarrassed to bring it up you know because yeah. of the whole manliness approach of like you know you can't talk about these things and blah bloody blah um you know because i know for a fact like you know as ricky just said the the football aspect of you know you can't talk about you know homosexual acts or anything like that because you're looked be looked upon bad in in the football world well, Pathet- is, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. You, you reach a certain point because, um, for your listeners, that you know, this this paedophile by the name of Barry Barry Burnell, yes, um, and he got recently got sent down. Um, Thirty years or something. Yeah, wasn't it? And when, but he he got first. He he was first flagged up in America in the nineties, and when they when they the police apparently um, made a, um, I think an appeal that are there any more victims. Um, going back, he come going back here, um, and nobody. I think there was hardly a word. Um, but the boys that those guys would have probably just been like late teens, early twenties. So even then, clearly they weren't at a stage to speak out. It was it earlier than that, apparently, because he was involved in all the youth setups at like Man City or something. On it, I'd heard like it was like you know eleven yeah. year olds and stuff like that. Yeah. But but oh yeah, so you wouldn't you, you definitely wouldn't have been. Uh, yeah. But even if you said something, you would you would have been shouted down or, or not believed. Um, well, it's abusing power, isn't it? We talked about this with <coughs> Weinstein, didn't we? We talked yeah. about this with Weinstein ages ago. It's all about abuse of power. And it's all about the individual doing that. It's not a gender thing of but like all guys are going to treat people like that. That's you, my. You, you need the comfort that other that others have been there, been got once you've kind of yeah. reached. Um, I don't know what you call it, kind of like. Um, camaraderie or yes or corroborate the, cor- the courage the courage of like yeah. by numbers yeah i know yeah. what you mean yeah. yeah but can i just again i don't mean to throw another spanner in the works no no it's interesting i read an interview last week do you remember you know the singer lisa stansfield yes so she i don't know if she i don't know if she's like released a new bit of music or anything but someone someone um 
sent me an interview of hers in Facebook. Um, and here's what she said. She said that, you know, if she'd been a, if she'd been a, a struggling actress uh, back when, whenever, at the start of her career, I know she was a singer. I think she's done acting in her time. Mm-hmm. But if she'd been a struggling actress, right, where she was trying to, like, you know, get on the foothold and she wasn't getting much luck. And if so, if a Harvey Weinstein uh, character approached her and said, like, okay, I can offer you this part, uh, the, on- the only catch is that you have to, you know, watch me masturbate in, in naked in my room. And you, you know what she said? She says, yeah, I'll do that. If it means that I'm going to get a career, yeah, I'll do that. I've heard people say this, yeah, that's saying that, like, you know, I would not, I would be okay with it. But again, it's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because it it still doesn't make it right in the sense of the people who did do it because it ultimately comes down to, you know, because this is a point that's, I can't remember who made this point with the Harvey Weinstein stuff, and I thought it was, in it, like, if I can say the word interested in the sense of that it did through a spanner in the works like you've been saying is that somebody said you know the problem is for was every it, was it Kirstie Alley? yeah I think it might have been yeah yeah because I, I mentioned this before yeah because it was something to do basically the premise was it was to do with for every person who Harvey Weinstein misused because it's all about the abuse of power and making people do something they don't want to do and that's terrible and that's something that hopefully we're, we're developing into a society where people feel comfortable speaking up about that kind of thing but the the for, for Kirstie Alley kind of says, says uh, it was Kirstie Alley because she made the point of for every like person that's done that there'll be just as many people uh, like women and men who took advantage who got asked to do that and had no problem so it's the idea about like you know having the power of the so that so the the, the power we want to give these individuals is the power to say no um because is it wrong for these people to say yes? Even is it wrong for that person to bring it up? Because it then leads to this whole other wider connotation of is it wrong for a person to go up to somebody and ask for sex? Yeah. Because if that person says no and doesn't take it any further, is that, that you know some people might not agree with me saying that. I'm just saying that as an example. But I'm just saying asking doesn't necessarily make it wrong. It, it's the it's the not taking no for an answer is the problem, yeah. um you know so that because that leads to you know you know forcing somebody to do something you, they don't want to do which is terrible, so that's 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 what it leads to this whole other wider argument. But all I wanted to say, all I was saying was the very very brief point of the like you know as you said the, the football one's a good point is that it, you know sexual abuse verbal abuse happens to to guys uh, as well and you know well it, the thing is the 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 going back to the book I'm reading, um, Lonely Boy by Steve Jones, I've reached the last couple of chapters and it's one of the most candid books you could ever read. Um, And he was abused as a kid and he's very candid about it there and he talks about, you know, I don't think he was was abused at boarding school, but, you know, there's there's a huge boarding school um, scandal involving young young lads getting abused by you know again it's power you know the catholic church has been going on for decades <laughs> it's read my mind i was exactly thinking that yeah but it's a funny era now isn't it because like you know now that it's involving famous people it's like you know it's like playing guess who you've got a guess who full of heroes that you admired and then almost every day you hear someone that you would you like to be well, well i was going to make this flippant silly comment of going like i mean I almost like don't want to have any heroes in the interview world now because any time I hear anything, it's always in it. I go, I'm watching the interview and going, oh yeah, he just got he just got accused recently, didn't he? Like, I, like I watched a, I watched an old interview and I still watch them because I, I I watch them for the value. It's I don't like condone that person, but you know it's it's this it's this it's this difficult situation, and it? it's a bit like the 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 obvious example that people give is. Can you listen to Michael Jackson's music if it was proved that he did do what he did? Like, and it's like, but I, I, everybody must have the ability. It's a bit like, do you stop listening to a musician after he, like, music after he dies? Like, I would, I wouldn't do that. So why would I do that about something that hasn't been proven? Like, you know, so it's the, so, so that's, that's my thing. Is that like, um, I, I, I don't think it makes me a worse, a bad person for watching something you know, that they've done. I mean, I wouldn't watch a Jimmy Savile thing again because I think that's obviously a really serious thing. But, like, um, I guess it's where you draw the line, isn't it? But I can just well, basically, I, you know... I mean, uh, Jimmy Savile never did 
out for me, but I mean, yeah, I never really watched the. But I was a fan of Rolf, I was a fan of Rolf Harris. I used to watch the Cartoon Club and yeah, and when I used, and then I heard the shit that he kind of you know. But yeah, it's uh, like all these American interviewers that I really admired. I remember it happened with Jan Gameshi, which you might remember me bringing him up before. He was on a Canadian, he was a Canadian broadcaster, and like I thought, one of the best interviewers in the world. He was really brilliant, and he he did so he he like you know, um, did stuff to interns and all this kind I of. I mean, thing. I'm I'm in the same boat as like I mean, Charlie I Charlie Rose. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, like um, the likes of Bill Cosby or. Louis Theroux, sorry, not Louis Theroux, Louis C.K. I mean, Sarah Silverman, she's like best mates with Louis C.K. Yeah, we talked about this, didn't we? Yeah. She put out a, a video, because um, mm-hmm. she she feels like in dire straits because like, what do, what do you do when one of your best mates has suddenly <laughs> found out to do that? I mean, do you? She was in dire straits. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. So that's where you phrase that. There she went. She was in dire straits, and I went. She was in dire straits. <laughs> <laughs> now that's now that's a reveal. Do you know that uh, she broke up with uh, Michael Sheen this year? Did you know that Sarah Silverman? I I didn't know they were seeing each other. Yeah, they've been seeing each other the last few years, and they announced that they announced on Twitter the, the couple of months ago. Mind you, and I didn't know Michael Sheen had a kid with the uh, son of uh, Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was a fan, I'm a big fan of her. It's her it's dad. weird as well, but I mean, but they 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 clearly get on because he was in there and he was in Underworld films there, like after they divorced, like because he yeah he was with her in the nineties, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's he's cool. Apparently, like they're really sweet with each other and all that, which is nice. Cause one of the kids involved. Um, but great yeah, act, great actor. Oh, I I know we 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 if you listen to a previous podcast, we talk <laughs> glowingly about all his film career. Hi guys, this is Stephen and Post, just saying uh, that's the end of part one of this particular podcast. Me and Ricky ended up talking way longer than we expected to, so I'm going to release this as two parts to save on the bandwidth, and gives me an extra podcast to release, because it was uh, we ended up talking for about two hours total, um, so it makes sense to put it as two parts. So, huge thank you for listening to this episode, obviously part two will be released probably about a week after this one's been released, so look for it then, and as we mentioned, uh, Mentally Sound is on March 9th, 12-2pm GMT on Spice FM, if you go to spicefm.co.uk, you can listen to us live, and we'll release that as a podcast as well. Uh, but thanks for listening to this episode, part one. Uh, obviously, join us for part two. And I'll end the podcast like it always ended with the great movie crew about Jocks Crash and Burn. We'll see you very soon for part two of this episode. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs>